thank you, Father, for drawing your Son to us and giving us the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord Jesus, and may, may we understand this gift that you gave us, the greatest gift of your Son, Jesus, at the cross. I declare your power, Lord, your power, your true power, that purchased us at the cross to be manifested upon every heart. Thank you for your true power that gives us the victory by your blood. I declare your blood, Lord Jesus, over every person here, over their conscience, their hearts, and their flesh. And I pray for their spirits, Lord, that they may understand your victory that makes us whole and complete today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How are we all today? So I normally pick on the people at the back, so... Everyone's going to come sit at the front now. How are we all today? We're good? Okay. Who's ready for today? Ready. Lock and loaded. Hmm. I like to pray at the end of the service for anyone having dreams that they're sleeping. If anyone has dreams that they're continuously sleeping on any type of surface in their dreams and it's reoccurring. And also people that are seeing naked people in their dreams. I'd like to pray for you at the end of the service. Okay. Who's ready for the preaching of Goliath? Very powerful. And I pray by God's grace that you receive it in your heart. Uh, we've got the microphone, Chris, at the back. Who here thinks they know what the meaning of Goliath is? Put your hands up and Chris will go around and give you the microphone. Not an essay, just the one sort of word. (laughs) 
Because here things they know what the word Goliath means. We've watched those movies growing up, the cartoons and the Bible movies, but who actually understands what it actually means? Who here thinks they know what the five stones symbolize that he picked up to take down Goliath? The Holy Spirit showed me the answer. I'll share it with you today. I've been holding my heart for this one for a long time. It's very powerful as well. So, does anyone know what King David went into battle with? We know that he had five stones. What else did he have? Yeah, it's a piece of rubber, but he took a staff with him. So he had a staff and he had five stones. And the Holy Spirit showed me the actual meaning of it in the New Testament. But you'll be shocked today by God's grace when you know what the word Goliath means. So let's have a go. We go to 1 Samuel. Where's Daniel? Is Daniel here? There he is. is Chris, can you give him the microphone so he can read? We're reading from the New King James. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1 to 58. I'll give Daniel a good one. So Daniel, when you're ready, I'm just going to share the story about King David against Goliath, and then I'm going to break it down for you. 1 Samuel 17, 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokoth and Eshka in, <laughs> in Ephes Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he, had a bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed six hundred shekels, and a shield and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you the servants of Saul? Choose a man from choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who, were, who went to the battle were El, Elab, the firstborn, next to him Abinad, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephad, uh, ephad of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by the name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. Same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give him his father's house, exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Elab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Elab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. 
Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant, was killed, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed, clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he, dis he, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and took over this Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley on the 
and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shariam, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from the chasings, from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hands. And David said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Thanks for that, Anu. Free under the bus. I think I'm free under the bus. <laughs> All right. I'll read the first scripture and we'll go from there. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. So I'm going to go from, from here. Okay, so does anyone remember here what the word Philistine means from last week? Well, does anyone here remember what the word Philistine means? Good listeners. Devil. What's that? No. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Come, bro. Come here. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so the word Philistine means to deviate from the true course. But how does Goliath do that? Now this is the when it gets a bit, a bit intense. So are we ready? Yes, we're ready. So you're going to learn the word Philistine. Acts as a, as a place where you are deviated off your true course um, in Christ. The word soko, for anyone who's following me, it's from the Strong's 7755 in the Esau. So when they gather in a place, there's a mystery. And God wants to share something with us in this mystery. Because then you can understand how Goliath positions himself to deviate you from the true course of God. I will listen. Now you learn and see how Goliath positions himself to de deviate you from the true course of God. Very interesting, this one. And it was the, probably the, the least I expect for how Goliath actually operates. 
or thought him to be a, a man of fear, but it's not like that. So let's go into the facts. So the word soko, are we ready? It defines to shut you in, to shut you in. Pay attention. It defines as to make a hedge or form a hedge around you. Okay, so he's talking about trapping you here now. But it gets deeper. Wisdom will ask, how does Goliath hedge or form himself around you? If I was wanting to know how actually some, uh, Goliath works spiritually, I would like to know, how does he actually trap you? Isn't that interesting? That the word soko, where he encamped, means to trap you. So, the final one, and, uh, and the true meaning that gives everything away from the whole New Testament. You can see how big Goliath is from the New Testament. You'll see how big Goliath is in the New Testament. Ready? The word shoko means to hedge and form thorns around you. To cover you with thorns. To enclose on you with thorns. To interwoven you with thorns. The word interwoven means to intermix, blend, fuse, mingle, integrated, and mix you with thorns. So when Goliath, Goliath is most strong when he encamps thorns around you. Now we start to get a good understanding of what, who Goliath is in the New Testament. Let's have a look. We go to Luke 8.14. Now isn't it interesting that we, we read about Delilah, uh, we read about Jezebel, and Jezebel is a more of a personality sort of thing. Delilah, anyone remember how, who Delilah is? Yes? Frustrates. Weariness, tiredness. Seduces. Yeah. I can't hear, sorry. Exhaust, good. She's very persistent. Remember? Delilah is very persistent in wearing you out. And then she led the Philistines to cut Samson's hair. So she's persistent in wearing you out which allows you to deviate from your true course. That's massive. It's 90% of the body of Christ. And people can't put their finger on why it's hap actually happening to them. And Jezebel is more of a personality, a demonic personality, character, behavior. Now here, we start to see uh, Goliath's approach Goliath's approach is more have to do with the world. But no one will think that. You read the story and you say, why are they gathering at this valley? But when the Israel gathered in that valley, the valley that they gathered in symbolizes an oak tree. An oak tree in the Old Testament 
is symbolic of the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God. So righteous living in the way of Christ. So one gathered with thorns, one gathered as the cedar trees, the oak tree, it's, a, it's not, a, not a cedar tree, it's an oak tree. It's symbolic of the righteousness of God. So it's interesting, one gathered with thorns, one gathers in the righteousness of God. And they are the two oppositions. Thorns, I'll let scripture speak for itself. Luke 8, 14. Now look at this. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, now the, the, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So what's the task of Goliath? What is the task of Goliath? Isn't it interesting that David cut his head off, meaning the headship of the world, what Christ wants us to do? And isn't it interesting that Goliath's symbolic of thorns, the thorns that wrapped around Jesus' head, and he cursed his uh, carnal nature, you start to see how powerful it is. How the enemy's greatest desire is to get into your thoughts to make you programmed with the world. Can you see? And Jesus wrapped thorns around his head. He cut the head of Goliath at the cross. He actually did. He cut his head. Goliath means to entrap you with thorns. He gave you the he gave you the ability to cut the head of Goliath at the cross. And you start to see Satan's greatest desire is to unfortunately trap you with something that is so common to the, to the whole body of Christ. And you start to see why Jesus put thorns on his head. Goliath, which is so big, the system of the world that is so big, where everyone is on that path, is the very thing that Christ wants you to crucify. Uh, are we understanding? So, trap you and hedge thorns around you, or an oak tree. An oak tree is symbolic of many things, the cross, righteousness of God, where you start to see the depth and the value and the discernment that we need to have. Now, how does the word care look like? I, I want to speak a little bit about this. How does the word care look like? We go to Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 18. Listen, Goliath is so big, but we've understood it and accepted it to be so normal in our day-to-day -day life. You know what, what, worries, what worries us as believers? It's not, the, it's, not a, it's not a danger that comes all of a sudden. It's the day-by-day -day grind that we accept and we live for. 
Can you understand? Because the day-to-day -day life is where the habits are formed, is where you learn to accept and just be who you are. But the daily grinds are uh, what becomes the Goliath. Because that's what leads to habits in your personality, in your mind, and in your heart. And it is the truth. Danger can catch you off guard. Challenges or trials can catch you off guard. But day-to-day -day, day -day, uh, living with things unchecked is what that Goliath fuels on. So look what the word lust actually, uh, look what the word you know, thorns symbolize, those three things. If you can just go back, please. Cares. Um, cares, riches, and pleasures. And the word care, the word care from the, the Thayer dictionary is symbolic of anxieties and worries. That's massive. Isn't that interesting that Goliath fuels from worry and anxiety? Are we listening, someone? You start to see where Goliath is fueled. And then you start to see where Christ is fueled. The one that produces the future, cares and worries, and the one that produces Christ, don't worry about tomorrow. And you start to see the Goliath and the Christ crucified mind. And you start to see the wrestle and the battle that you're in. And this is not just a, a, an overnight fix. This is a disciplined person who sits in the Holy Spirit, sits in the Word, and begins to really understand who they are. So you start to see, don't worry about tomorrow. What are you talking about? How can I actually accept that? But that's the crucified mind. Because each day has its own troubles of its own. That's how the Lord teaches you to deal with that Goliath that is so big and intimidating. Someone will think, oh, he comes with intimidation and fear. He intimidates you with the very things that you need. Can you see? So the word care in the Thayer Greek Dictionary is anxieties and worries. Wow. You start to see, wow. Have I chopped the, the head of Goliath? <laughs> people, people tell me this scripture, you know, Jesus cut his head and you're free and you live the rest of your life worrying and having anxiety. No, you're not free. If these things are persistent in you, and these things are fueling you, you're not free. And that's the truth of it. The moment you know you're not free, you, you fight to become free. Jesus gives you the ability to overcome. But you start to see how strong Goliath is. He wraps walls or hedges of thorns around you. And those thorns are those very things. Cares. Riches, pleasures. Mankind, they go after these. It's true. And you start to see, which battle am I in? And have I actually seen Goliath at work in me? And our upbringing certainly ticks all the boxes. 
because we've thought to be we've thought this to be normal we've thought this to be normal everyone goes through this everyone uh, lives with this you see the daily the day-to-day -day habits is where Goliath is unchecked meaning he goes undetected but the moment you start to see how powerful the Holy Spirit how powerful the Holy Spirit is and where he wants to bring you it's interesting you know from the day I started my journey I planned f I'll just share this my experience from the day I started my journey I planned for years yes I'm stable I'm protected I'm secure for years two three years then I get more into the Holy Spirit I'm secure and stable for months then I get more close to the Holy Spirit I'm secure and stable for weeks then I get more close to the Holy Spirit I'm satisfied in that day it was a process but God started to show me all those things that allowed or promoted Goliath to operate in my life. And you know how you quote that scripture, don't worry about tomorrow? Believe me, when you actually start to live it, you're truly free. When nothing phases you anymore, you're actually free. And then God knows now that he can make a vessel out of you and take you to where he's planned for you before the foundation of the universe. Imagine trying to walk out of a wall that has thorns in it. Yeah? What happens? What happens? Imagine you walk around the wall that has thorns in it. What happens to your skin? Anyone? You get pierced. So you start to see all those New Testament preachings about the piercing. And why Paul is speaking like this. Yeah. Luke 21, 34 to 38. We go there. I want to focus a little bit about the word care and then I'll move on. Listen, what I told you before, I'm going to share a little bit of a treasure about the five stones and the stuff, but it's more exposing. This teaching is more of a exposing. Did anyone know that? That Goliath, the Goliath's task is to form thorns around you. That is his greatest intimidation. That's how he intimidates you. He has to intimidate you with something. And what's mostly known to common to man, we want what security. We want to know that we're going to be okay, right? Every person here, yeah? We want to know that everything's going to be okay when it comes to you know, the system of the world, living and paying and dealing and whatever it is, yeah? We want to know everything's going to be okay. Isn't that interesting that he intimidates you? with the very thing everyone runs, runs from God from. He intimidates you with the very thing that allows you to run from God. They ran. They ran. They all ran except one. It's an eye-opener. 
Now look at this. Cares means worries and anxieties. Now you look and you reflect on your life now and you start to see which part of Goliath is conquering or ruling his headship over you. Where is it? Where is he working? The fear of failure, the fear I'm not going to have enough, lack. You start to see it's Goliath. It's not your own mind. You need to know this. Out of all this teaching, the Jezebel, the Deliah, and the Goliath, it's all to equip you so you can see the enemy. Right? A lot of people, I rebuke you, devil, you get out. You don't even know what you're fighting. <laughs> you don't know who, you, who you're actually fighting. You don't know who your opponent is. You don't know who, where the fruits are coming from. And it's the truth. It's a foolish prayer, that prayer. Wisdom will tell you um, that when we're not unaware of Satan's schemes. And his schemes are more powerful than you think. Sorry that I have to say it like that, but it is. So many Christians are bound by Satan, then free in the spirit. And I don't mean to intimidate anyone here, but it's the truth. Because they haven't seen his fruits. They haven't seen his tactics. They haven't seen his instruments that he uses against us. So it says here, Luke 21, 34, Be careful, or your heart will be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap now look at this here I missed one powerful thing what does Soko say? Soko is to trap you so Goliath's job is to trap you. And if you try to get out, you're pissed. So be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will enclose you suddenly like a trap. Okay, next scripture. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, now look at this here. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gives you the way out from Soko, from being trapped? Isn't it interesting that he, he talks about, be careful about being trapped and whatnot, and look what he says here. Just out of the blue, he just throws that in there. Is that a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night in the hill called the Mount of Olives. Each day, in the day, in the Word, and at night in prayer. Isn't it interesting that when you have a heart for the Word and a heart for prayer, Believe me, you can never be trapped. And that is the truth. Because as, as long as you're connected to the Holy Spirit, as long as you're connected to the Holy Spirit, as long as you connect to the Word, God's continuously opening your eyes 
from anything that's trying to stick to you. So he's showing them the key that we don't fall into that place. We go to... Yeah, this is another interesting one here. This is regarding the word care. We go to Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. This one's a... Everyone knows this one, Mary and Martha. We all know this one, right? Whenever we see someone working in the kitchen, we call them Martha. But it's actually deeper than we think. But I want you to reflect in your heart regarding this. I didn't want to put it there, but I said I'll just go there just to open your eyes. I want you to see the heart of Martha and, uh, and how Jesus diagnosed the character of Martha. Okay, I just want you to see this so you can understand that if you don't have a heart, if you don't have a heart to sit at the feet of Jesus, you'll continuously look outside for help. You'll continuously look outside to complain. And it's something you have to think about. Now, Martha means a prostitute, a person who is a mistress. That's what her name means. And her name is like, I treat God as a mistress. And how can we, can, how can we reflect upon that? where we come to God when we need something or when we come to God to complain to him about something rather than sitting at his feet. Now it's interesting, her name means mistress of believers who treat God like this. And that's something that is interesting because a fleshly believer, not a spirit-filled believer, will treat God like this. And Jesus said, she, she, chose, she chose the only thing that is good is to sit at his feet. And she was content. But that's how Jesus dealt with the word care. The word care means to sit at the feet of Jesus. You don't have any more worries or anxieties anymore. Because you're at his feet. He's comforting you. He's assuring you. And he's directing you every step. So you start to see, are you a Martha? Sorry to say it like this. But are you a Martha? When trouble hits, you come in a way to complain about your troubled heart to him. Or are you a person that sits at his feet and is content? Now look here, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Isn't it interesting that when you treat God like this as a mistress or a prostitute, unfortunately, you would, you, you would approach him in a different way. Isn't it interesting that you would approach him in a different way? Lord, don't you care that I'm going through these struggles? Don't you know what I'm going through? You should have come fixed it already. 
How many people speak to God like this? Lord, don't you know what I'm going through? Why haven't you fixed it already? Lord, where are you in this situation? That's how we treat God as a mistress. Just think about that. When trouble hits you, you approach God like this, rather sitting at the Lord's feet to be changed and to be restored. But how does the word care, which brings anxieties and worries, is dealt with? All day in the word, all night at the Mount of Olives, now he's saying, sit at his feet. Now what does feet symbolize? What does Jesus' feet symbolize? Anyone here? What does his feet symbolize? It's deeper than you think. What's that? Peace? So is she listening to peace? She was listening to peace. She's listening to something deeper than that. Blessed are the feet who? Blessed is the feet who brings the good news. She was listening to the gospel. She was listening to the will of God over her life. Isn't it interesting that when you sit at his feet, he teaches you the will of God for your life. But if you treat him as a mistress, you're only coming to him for the needs and the wants and the lacks and the burdens and whatever. Can we understand? So that's just, just for care. So Goliath is very intimidating. He, he comes to you with the very things that you need, but he doesn't, get, he doesn't let you get them from God. He lets you get them from your own strength. We go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Look how, look how the Holy Spirit deals with the word care. And I, and I really want to tell you this here. Look what it says here. Be anxious for nothing. For nothing. Give it no volume whatsoever in your mind or your heart in your walk with God. This is how you deal with the Goliaths. Because you may think, oh, you know, I'm safe. It's, it's good. You don't know how, how many strings and roots and streams he's went down into your flesh. That's allowed you, that's allowed him to be so intimidating to you. So look what it says here be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now you start to see the one who has a Goliath spirit working in them, he lacks the word, he lacks prayer, and he lacks sitting at his feet. You start to see the fruits of allowing a Goliath spirit to rule and control me. Now, this is just one little section. And it says here, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. So you start to see that a Goliath spirit cannot work and cannot continue to work if you have inherited a life of the Word, a life of the Spirit, and a life of sitting at His feet. 
He cannot work anymore. He will not be able to work anymore. You will cut his head off. And that's for the word only care. Now we go to the, the next symbolic of the word thorn, is pleasures. It's another very big one. We go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 22. So the word pleasure in the Greek is 2237. The word means lust. And I've spoken about this nearly every week. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life doesn't come from our Father, it comes from the world. And I don't want to be like a tape recorder, but the same messages are coming through different names. Now look what it says here. Remember what I told you about the oak tree? It's symbolic of righteous living. Look what it says here in 2 Timothy. Just to show you how you deal with pleasures. And something I want to open your eyes to. When Satan came to Jesus and said, I'll offer you all the kingdoms of the earth. Everyone knows that scripture when he was fasting for 40 days, yeah? He offered him, uh, he offered him the word. It's, it's like a word of a universe, meaning you can never see the end. Meaning when you go after the world, you can never be content. Can you understand? So when Satan offers you that platform of the world, you will continuously hunger for it and hunger for it and hunger for it and you will never be content or satisfied in your heart. So when people tell me, you know, when I have this, I'll focus more on the gospel. Uh, please, uh, move please. Because that's coming out of the flesh. You know, when, I, when I've made my hundreds of thousands or when I've paid off my house, I'll focus more on the Lord and move to the side. Because you're not speaking by the Spirit. I'll get a bit of Satan, and when Satan's fooled me with whatever he's going to fill me with, I'll go serve God. You know the saddest part about it? No one's, no one's given God the ability to bless them and to look after them because they haven't let go. The letting go in the beginning is the hardest thing but the most rewarding because God shows himself to you. And that is the truth. The one who's willing to let go is willing to taste and see the Lord is good. But I'm not going to let go of Goliath because he's very intimidating to me. Am I going to be safe? What's going to happen to me? The cares. You see the word care? It's bigger than you think. Is anyone awake here? It's bigger than you think. Why would they make such a drama about Goliath? You start to see the Goliath within very intimidating. So look how you deal with Goliath here. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. This is regarding pleasures, which is lost. So a person, uh, no scripture? Well... Okay, I'll keep going. Got it? Well done. Pay rice for AJ. I'm <laughs> joking. Everyone's going to stay me at the back. <laughs> They're going to all the hard work. <laughs> now look here. Remember what I told you about the oak tree, right? Look how you deal with the Goliaths. Look. It says here, flee also useful lust, but pursue. It's deeper than you think, the word righteousness. Because righteousness leads to what? You start to see righteous living is to live like Christ. Which leads to when you speak, you see results. And when you walk, you love like Christ. And you have his peace. And you can call out of a pure heart. So look here how you deal with lust. Righteous living. And what does the Bible say? We see that now in? You know what that means? To seek the things that are above. Now, you've probably heard this a million times, but do you actually do it? Because when you're seeking the things that are above, your focus is not here anymore. We go to James chapter 1, verse 9 to 18. It shows you why so many people can't receive from the Lord is because they're still in their pleasures. They're still in their own lust. Yeah, I can read that, just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, no, I can read that, just leave it, I'll read it. I can't read that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> now here, look how he starts, look how he finishes. Okay, I want you to pay attention to the amplified version. So can I say this humbly to you? A delayed blessing is because delayed repentance. There's no other way to put it to use. A delayed blessing or a delayed breakthrough for a blessing is because there's a delay in repentance. It says, Let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his high position as a born-again believer called to the true riches 
and to be an heir of God. And the rich man is to glory in being humbled by trials, revealing human frailty, knowing true riches are found in the grace of God. That is our true riches. Why? Why is the grace of God the true riches? Because he gives you what you can handle. Isn't that interesting? Who's willing to get what God can give him as that's only what he can handle? So when people tell me, when I have a lot, I'll give a lot. You don't know what you're saying. When I have a lot, the, the little you have and you give is the, is the more you have and you give more. So when people say, I don't have too much, I can't give. Believe me, when you have a lot, you won't give. It's true. It says here, being humbled by trials, revealing human frailty, knowing true riches are found in the grace of God. For like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass. Its flower falls off and its beauty fades away. So too will the rich in the midst of his pursuits fade away. Blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the man who is steadfast under trial. Now isn't it interesting? What is the trial against? What is the trial against? Anyone? What is this trial regarding against? His trial against riches. It's against the worldly things. Because let's say you don't get what you want, right? Many people take things in their own consideration and begin to venture off in their own strength. So who's willing to wait? <laughs> who's willing to wait? And who's willing to let God work on their hearts and in due time bring the blessing to you? So many people, I prayed for a blessing. It uh, didn't come. So I have to focus on myself. And this is where the Goliath becomes very intimidating. Cares. Can God really bring me the breakthrough? Now these trials are against riches, worldly desires. If you read it in context, it's true. Blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the man who steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. Tempted for what? Riches. Worldly things. When tempted, for when he is past the test and being approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life when the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one, when he is tempted, I am being tempted for God, for temptation doesn't originate from God, but from our own flaws. For God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is dragged away, enticed and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desire, lust and passion. So you start to see the temptation has to do with lust, lusting for the world. 
Then when illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. Do not be misled, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, the creator and sustainer of the heavens, in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting or shadow, cast by turning, for he is perfect and never changes. It was of his own will that he gave us birth as his children by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. As a prime example of what he created to be set apart to himself, sanctified, made holy for his divine purpose. What does Goliath do? It brings no fruit to maturity. His role is to hedge a thorn around you to bring no fruit to maturity. So to keep you in a, to keep you in a tug of war with cares, worries, and anxieties of this life. Now how many people tell me, I can't break out of it. Now you know who's behind it. Someone will say, it's normal. Everyone goes through these things. It's not normal for a spirit-filled believer to stay in these things. The moment you see it, you can never unsee it anymore. And the, and the worst thing about it is when it's hidden and you don't see it, you become a slave to it and you f you're fighting something in the air, you don't know what it is. I'll skip these scriptures. I'll go to the, to the meat. Now the Holy Spirit showed me this. this. The Holy Spirit showed me um, the word soko, um to hedge thorns around you. And he showed me the stones, the stones that he picked to destroy Goliath. With the staff, I'll read that scripture out. It's from 1 Timothy, verse 6, 3 to 16. In the New King James. Uh, sorry, in the NIV. Okay, are we ready? The Holy Spirit showed me this. Uh, many, many months ago about the staff and the five stones that David picked to crush Goliath. It's in here. And the Holy Spirit done this for, before many times, and I hope you get this. But I'm going to question you which one is the most powerful one. And I'm going to read from there. Okay? Now, let's read this here. Paul's speaking to Timothy. He said, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth 
and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, this is a massive Goliath in the Christian churches today. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Isn't that interesting? He uses that same word, trap again. What does Goliath do? Trap you with thorns, a hedge around you. You start to see all the scriptures that uses the word trap is a form of Goliath because he positioned himself in the valley of Shoko. You can't make this up. And they positioned themselves in the valley of the oak tree. Symbolic of Christ crucified, a tree of righteousness. See the two opponents? To entrap you with thorns, which is very subtle to us today. Isn't it interesting that one of the greatest definitions of Goliath, he, he pursues security. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they try to... You see the piercing now? We're talking about piercing now. have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now isn't it interesting that when a person goes after these things, what happens actually to their soul? They come burdened. But, but, but did the Lord tell you to go there? Did the Lord actually tell you to do that? You see why you wait on God? And you see you don't move before your time? Because the Goliath will cause you to move before your time outside the protection of the Lord. And that's for many things. But I'm just sharing with you of why Goliath has conquered many people. So I tell people, do you hear from God? Oh, it's, God's will. it's God's word to bless me. So, Did you hear from God? And it's sad because... To so many people, I'm intimidating, but it shouldn't be like that. It's actually to protect your walk and to protect your heart and protect you, your, your secured position that you keep moving forward for the ways of the Lord. Now, keep going. Now, isn't it interesting? He spoke about a trap. He spoke about a trap. And now he's going into how to defeat Goliath. This is the scripture that the Holy Spirit showed me of the five stones and the staff that he had in his hand. I hope you get this. It's no mistake. In other epistles, in other letters, there's seven, there's eight, and it's for something else. But I'm not going to go around and share them all now. 
But in other scriptures, he speaks about different characters um, from the Old Testament that emphasizes in the New Testament. And it's actually unbelievable. Everything has a meaning. He's not just throwing these words out for nothing. He's quoting the Old Testament. Now look here. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue. Number one, they position themselves in the valley of righteousness. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He's fighting now. Why would he say that? He's quoting something from the Old Testament. Now, the Bible says everything that was written from the Old was there to instruct us, remember? Now you start to see he's fighting a battle. But what happened in the physical happens in the spiritual now. So you can see here, the staff and the five smooth stones, it's right there. Go back, please. Which one is the staff? The staff is the, the, the staff is the righteousness. Now look here. Go to Second Corinthians six, verse five to seven. He said he took off his armor because he said he took off his armor. The staff was his armor. Look. Look what it says here. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting, by purity. By purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So the most, the most important weapon that David used to kill Goliath was righteousness. So let's keep reading. We go to Second Timothy three sixteen. You start to see the greatest weapon. If I was to ask people today the greatest weapon, people say faith. But righteousness is the doorway to faith. Because when you're living like Christ, faith comes. Right? Faith was designed to do what? To get results from God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Faith was designed to get results, right? Everyone knows this, right? Faith gets results. But what is the doorway to faith? Righteous living. You start to see. Does God answer a person who's living in unrighteousness? No, he doesn't. The Bible says that clear all over through the New Testament. 
And it's a wake-up call. Because faith, true faith, that brings true power, is birthed by righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. That he gives you the ability to walk like this. But you see the staff. You see the greatest tool. It's not faith. The greatest tool is righteousness. It's an eye-opener to the body of Christ. Now look at this, look at this here. All the reading, all the reading, all the establishment, all the foundation that you work for as a believer is for what? You see. You see here. Righteousness tells you I'm living from the kingdom of God. I'm living in heavenly places. That's what righteousness tells you. You start to see, am I that believer? Am I walking in the righteousness of Christ? So all the scripture that's given by God and that profits you, establishes you on 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 an amazing doctrine, it produces the most amazing discipline, it corrects every part of you, it instructs every part of you to do one thing, to live in the righteousness of Christ. Now, if I was to ask someone here, what is the most important thing? They would say it's faith. It's wrong. It's righteousness. It's the doorway to faith. Because when you live like Christ, the purity of heart, it's there. Imagine you speaking to God, I command this and you're living like a devil. Just think about it. Imagine you're living in sin. Imagine you're living in rebellion. Imagine you're living in disobedience and you call the name of the Lord. Does it make sense? Doesn't make sense. If you are in that place of sin and rebellion, you bring it to the Lord. He'll wash you. He'll cleanse you. But imagine continuing and righteousness not being the armor that you wear. Righteousness is the greatest armor. You know why? It keeps the devil away because you're living like Christ. It is the truth. That is it. Someone doesn't like it outside. (laughs) They're going for it. Please, I want you to get this. The staff that he took with him was the staff of righteousness. And I wonder if it, wasn't, if it was made from oak. Probably was. But anyways, let's not make assumptions. Romans 6.13. Romans 6.13. You see, Scripture all comes together. And you think, I never heard this gospel of righteousness. I've only heard grace, and yes, I'm good, and yes, keep going, and everything's okay. (laughs) Romans 6.13, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of 
you start to see, wow, it's surfacing everywhere now. As long as we're aware of it, we can bring it into our hearts now. What is Christ most interested with? The results that you get or the way you live? You start to see. And this is a wake-up call for every person here, including myself. And I'm not saying it to be humble. It's the truth. God's more interested with how you walk and how you live than what you can do for him. And then you have another, on the other hand, you have a Goliath telling you or causing you worries and anxieties, pleasures and lust. Next scripture, Revelations chapter 19, verse 7 to 8. Now look at this. He doesn't talk about faith here. He doesn't talk about grace here. He talks about righteousness. Is it an accident? I think it's a reality check. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Now he's saying to you here, the greatest way you can praise God. The greatest way you can praise God, the greatest way you can be glad, the greatest way you can rejoice is here. Because she's made herself ready for the supper of the Lamb. Not everyone goes there. Not everyone goes to the supper of the Lamb. I'm going to preach about judgment in the coming months, not weeks. The different judgments and what happens if you live the unstable life. It's a good question. It's, it's a good question. What happens to me if I've lived this unstable life? Bit of the world, bit of this, bit of this. What happens to me? Yeah, I'd like to know. I'm going to share it with you. What actually happens to you when you die and you've lived that life? The fear of God will come on you. And it will actually come on you. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made her ready. Is that for everyone? No, it's not. Not for everyone who confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. No, it's for this next one. And to her it was granted. Now that's a condition. Now please, I'm preaching the right gospel here. I'm preaching the right gospel. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. John 2.29, we go there. Don't want to go there? No, not working anymore now. Yeah? Oh, it's not? Made a mistake? One sec. Hold that, we'll go to another one, I'll find that one. Go to Romans 6.18. 
I'll come back to that. Made a mistake. Okay, having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Now Jesus' death was for what? So you can continue to live the way you're living? No. It's there for you to be a slave of righteousness. We go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 35. Okay. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, no favoritism. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. But I thought Jesus accepts everyone. You start to see the difference between true believers and the false believers. You start to see the truth between the sheep and the goat. You start to see when he gathers the weeds and the tares together at the end. My friends, I'm preaching the true gospel. I'm not preaching another gospel. It's the true gospel. And God wants us to lift from glory to glory. Lift until our vision is from heaven down. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. I think, uh, I think I didn't read that one yet. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For, so, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak to this to your shame. This is not for people here, please. I'm just showing the scripture. Awake to righteousness. What does it mean to awake? Righteous living, living like Christ. But the Bible says we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He gives us the ability because of the finished work of the cross to walk in this way. Our fuel is his death that gives us the authority to walk in this way. Titus chapter 2 verse 12. Now look here. How do you kill the Goliath in your life? Who ever thought that Goliath comes in this way? Who ever thought that Goliath actually works like this? Isn't it interesting that he is the biggest intimidator of the very things that we need? <laughs> he is the biggest intimidator 
on the things that you need. And he focuses there. That's why so many people run from God. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What is our greatest weapon that we carry? Righteous living. That's the doorway and the pathway to faith, which bring results. Does everyone get this? So they gathered in the valley of righteousness. They gathered in the valley of thorns. Two armies. Two armies. And there's a story there which is symbolic of Jesus when he fasted 40 days and he killed Goliath in that wilderness. There's, some, there's amazing treasures in that one, but I haven't gone there. But just to show you that David's story is a replica of Jesus. But I'm just showing you that he was in the wilderness 40 days, David. Symbolic of Jesus, what he done. He killed the lion and the bear. He killed every devil that was there trying to tempt him. It's all a spiritual thing. But I want to encourage you. You start to see the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Delilah, and the spirit of Goliath. And who think that Goliath works through entrapping you with thorns? And you start to see all the scriptures in the New Testament about thorns, 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 thorns. Who is it? Who is it in the Old Testament? Why is he so intimidating? Why is the world so intimidating? It's because of three things. Thorns symbolize three major things. Cares, riches, and pleasures are the opposite of righteous living. Cares, riches, and pleasures is the opposite of righteous living. Because when you live like this, you're not worried about them anymore. So you see how intense, you see how intense your walk is now? You see how you see how crucial it is to have wisdom and discernment with the Holy Spirit? And where is the discernment and wisdom found? Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you start to see prayer alters that door for you to have eyes, spiritual eyes, to see the enemy within and the enemy without. And you start to see. How is Goliath so intimidating? He's so intimidating because the world is built on this. People see success of a house being paid off. People see success as security. And believe me, the Bible says God never forsake you. He'll never leave you. He knows what you need. Every good and perfect comes from Him. And He gives you things for your enjoyment. But He gives you what you can handle. He doesn't give you what you want. And the sad thing is that hides behind the gospel. When I have this, I can serve more, God. You're just saying it out of your pleasures or your lust. 
So think about that. The Goliath. So intimidating with the very things that you need. Isn't that interesting? Goliath, Goliath, he works through the future. Jesus works through the day. Isn't that interesting? Don't worry about tomorrow. Do you know what that means? Don't worry. <laughs> but I can't. All my life I fed myself like this. Are you stupid? That's what people say to me. And like I said, when I first started my journey, I planned for years. I'm safe for years. Months, weeks, <laughs> days. And all that discipline, all that discipline, all those trials, all the hardships that I went through was to get me to a place where God can prove to, him, to, to myself that he can look after me. The saddest thing out of this whole message is that a person hasn't let go for God to actually show that he can look after him. That's the saddest part because we've held on to Goliath, intimidation. You see? The saddest part, no one has able or got to a place where they can let go so God can be their God and take them to where they want to go. So just think about it. This cartoon Goliath stuff, it doesn't work. Christ, Christ put the thorns around his head. Crucified mind is how you kill Goliath. The crucified mind. I tell people fast now, now you understand. I tell people pray without ceasing, now you understand. Be a life in the word of God, now you understand. So what is the greatest armor? It's righteousness. Because you don't live unrighteous anymore. Not many people knew that the doorway to faith is righteousness. It's all over the New Testament. The, the, the most deceiving thing is, imagine speaking what you're not living. Imagine what you're preaching and you're not dead yet. And you start to see, am I actually walking in deception? Am I actually aware of this, where it's being brought to my attention? You start to see. You start to see where your focus is. You start to see the true power of the cross was not what you do without, what God does within. You start to see. Isn't it interesting that Jesus dealt with Jezebel in Revelation? Cast them on the bed of death. He gave her time to repent. Personality, character, behavior. Then you got Delilah, who is persistent in wearing you out, which takes you from the course of your journey. Weariness, frustration. Then you got this Goliath that keeps bringing the system of the world to you because you're caught in lust, desires, and the cares of this world. You start to see each spirit. They are very uh, well structured and prepared. And unfortunately, Christians, they sleep. Most blessings are coming from Goliath that keeps you focusing in the future and keeps that thing undetected inside of you. 
And it's not, I'm, I'm not going too deep, it's actually the truth. So it's a lesson for us here that Goliath, Goliath's greatest strength is cares which bring anxieties and worries, riches, and pleasures. And you start to see where he sets his, where he sets his camp within you. And you start to see the opposite of defeating Goliath is righteous living. To live like Christ. To live like Christ means to think like Christ. And that's how you get the victory. Amen? He cut his head. He cut his head off. When you cut the head of Goliath, yes, you're victorious. And isn't it interesting? He said, when you defeat him, we will serve you. Isn't it interesting when you defeat that lust? Your spirit overcomes that. Your flesh submits to the spirit. So I bless you all, and I pray. What an eye-opener this teaching's been, right? Yeah. Such an eye-opener. You won't watch any more cartoons about Delilah and Samson and all this stuff. <laughs> you start to see it's bigger than you think. So I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit's opened our eyes so we can see. Yes? If we are victims of the Jezebel, the Delilah, and Goliath, rejoice. Because once you see it, you can never unsee it. Then the battle begins. So I encourage you, thank the Lord Jesus that He's let you see it. And He's let you look deep inside your heart and your mind so you can overcome. Amen? It's the truth. And a lot of people say, you look too deep into things now, you can actually understand that the Bible is a holograph. It has deep and deep spiritual treasures waiting for us. And when God opens your eyes, you're not reading a story, you're reading your heart. Right? When God opens your, when God opens your eyes, you're not reading a story anymore, you're opening your heart. So thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory for opening our eyes so we can see by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you for revealing Jesus to us and showing us the depth of what you want in our hearts. I thank you, Lord. I give you all the glory, Lord. And I thank you for your untainted word, your word that is pure that produces the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I pray this prayer over every head here today, Lord, that they may know that deep calls to deep, that you want to be in the center of our hearts before any decision is made, you want to reside there. And I thank you, Lord, that we are giving you the opportunity by the Holy Spirit that you can call deep to deep. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. 
your word is true. May every man be a liar, but your word true. And I thank you for all that you have done in this place, in every person's heart. And where you are taking us, we thank you. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us by the Holy Spirit and you strengthen us by the Spirit of grace that we can fight. Because it's not by might, it's not by strength, it's by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us. For greater is the one who's in us than the one who's in the world. And we rejoice today because you are in us because of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And thank him for the teaching because it's from his heart to our hearts. Amen.